You are Locked On Vols, your daily Tennessee Volunteers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into Locked On Balls, your team every day. My name is Josh Ward. Thank you for being here today. I'm excited for today's show heading into the NFL Draft Weekend, which I think we're all excited for just because it's something real that has to do with real-life sports. In the first segment, Jeremy Pruitt is going to talk about the Tennessee players going through the NFL Draft process and Most of the players, I think, will likely go undrafted, but they'll all receive NFL opportunities. Daryl Taylor is a guy that could go as high as the second round on Friday night. He might go in the third round, could slide to the fourth. I'd be stunned if he goes past the fourth. But you have Daryl Taylor and Juwan Jennings, the most likely players to be selected, and then Marquez Calloway, Daniel Batuli, Domwood Anderson, and Nigel Warrior, all hoping to be selected. But again, if they won't be selected, they will be picked up by NFL teams as undrafted free agents. I'll get to those guys in a moment, Jeremy Pruitt talking about them. And then also in segment number one, actual news that is positive in trying to get a college football season this upcoming year. That's coming up in segment number one. And then Kevin Hughes, my buddy Kevin Hughes, Hughes it or lose it, is going to stop by for a couple of segments talking about highlights of the 2019 year in football for Tennessee, the JT Daniels conversation among Tennessee fans, and also an interesting quote from former Tennessee wide receiver Mark West Calloway. That's right here on Locked On Vols, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available anywhere you listen to podcasts, including on your smart speaker at home. You can just tell it to play podcast. Locked On, V-O-L-S, spell out Vols when you tell it to play podcast, Locked On, V-O-L-S. As I mentioned, Daryl Taylor is the first Tennessee player that is expected to be drafted. Juwan Jennings could go before him, but all projections have Taylor going in front of Juwan. And the projections with Daryl are all over the place. I saw Jesse Simonton of VolQuest note all the different projections that have Taylor going anywhere from the number 53 overall pick That's according to Danny Kelly of The Ringer to number 185 overall. That's according to Mel Kuyper Jr. So nine different mock drafts that Jesse looked at had Daryl all over the place. There were six drafts that had him being selected in front of the number 100 overall pick and then three that had him after number 100. So Taylor could go anywhere. Uh, Juwan Jennings looks to be a mid to late round pick in the draft. And then I think the third Tennessee player with the best chance to be drafted would be Marquez Callaway. We'll see what happens. I think all of those guys would be really good prospects to pick up. And whether they're drafted or undrafted, you have some guys that have really good work ethics coming out of Tennessee as well. This is what Jeremy Pruitt said not too long ago when he was a guest on Sports Talk on 99.1 The Sports Animal in Knoxville. He talked about those guys going through the draft process. It's a different year, of course, with the COVID-19 situation, what it's like for those guys and what they're going through and trying to get ready for the upcoming draft. Well, the guys that uh, were seniors for us this past year, uh, I felt like all of them were very productive players. Uh, They've done a fantastic job for us on and off the field. Uh, They're men of character. Uh, They're guys that are dependable. Uh, They're tough. They're winners. Uh, And and all of them put really good tape uh, out there their senior year. So, um, you know, that's, I think, probably from uh, an NFL standpoint, they got to trust their, the, the, I guess the teams, you know, they got to trust their evaluations and uh, probably very similar to 
what's going to go on uh, in college ball, you know, when you don't get a chance to go out and spring recruit. You don't get a chance to see guys during doing spring ball, so you got to do a really good job just looking at the game tape and doing a nice job evaluating. That is kind of an interesting comparison with college football recruiting because college coaches can't get out and see recruits in person right now either. Now, they still have a season or two or three, I guess, depending on what level recruits we're talking about, but still, the in-person evaluation process is not taking place. If NFL teams are now going to have to rely more on the college tape, I would think some Tennessee players benefit from that. I would think Jennings benefits if they are looking at his college tape. I would think Batuli leading Tennessee in tackles the last three years benefits there. And then Nigel Warrior, the progress that he made as a senior at Tennessee, should benefit as well. We'll see what happens for the Tennessee football players. I wish all of those guys the best, and whether they're drafted or picked up as undrafted free agents, they're all going to have an opportunity at the next level. And on Monday's show, I'll look back at the draft as it will take place Thursday through Saturday. On Monday's show, I'll be talking about where all of those guys landed and what those spots will mean for them. Now, another big question continues to be what's going to happen with the upcoming college football season. I saw a poll conducted by Brett McMurphy. 99% of FBS athletic directors believe there will be a college football season this year. So they are sure of it it appears. But they don't really seem to believe that it's going to start on time. 75% of the athletic directors who were surveyed predicted the season will be delayed. 61% believe it will start in October or November. 14% believe that it will start in the spring. So the majority of the athletic directors expected to start later. Almost all of them expect it to take place. So about 25% of the athletic directors believe it'll start on time in late August, early September. That would, I guess, be third in the voting. 61% believe it'll start in October or November. About 25% believe the season will start on time. And 14% predict the football season in college will take place this spring. Here is some news that is positive with the hopes of having a college football season this upcoming fall, whether it starts in September or maybe gets pushed back a little bit to October. If that were to happen, if the season started in October, we could wait at that point because other sports would have come back, I'm sure, and they would help fill the void. But Missouri announced on Wednesday afternoon they are planning to return to in-person operations and classes this fall. Missouri has announced that online classes will continue through the summer. So they will not have on-campus classes this summer, but they are planning to return to on-campus classes this upcoming fall. And what have we heard from pretty much every administrator that was willing to talk about what needs to happen? You have to have the students back before you're going to have college football on the field. If you can't have the students there, you can't have the college athletes there either. There's still a long way to go, and there's still a lot to get figured out, and I would still say that nobody really knows what's going to happen. But when you have that survey result from the athletic directors and you have that news from Missouri, those are at least a couple of positive news items to look at to believe that, yes, we are going to get a college football season this year, and there's a good chance we could get a college football season this fall, which we are all hoping take place coming up next on locked on vols kevin hughes and i are going to talk about this past year with tennessee football jt daniels as a potential transfer for tennessee at quarterback that's coming up next right here on locked on vols part of the locked on podcast network 
March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, I want to welcome in my friend Kevin Hughes back for another Hughes It or Lose It segment on Locked On Vols. Kevin, how's it going? Doing well. Uh, we're in like what, week 14, 15, year, year three of quarantine? Yeah, add a zero to the end of it, and, uh, and that's where we are. And, yeah. uh, and that's why a lot of the recent radio talk, podcast talk uh, right here included, has been taking a look back at sports. This one's more recent, though. So uh, last time you were on the show, you actually mentioned that you had gone back and watched the 2019 South Carolina game. Uh, this week I've been going through highlights of the 2019-20 year in Tennessee sports. Uh, what's the highlight for you from the 2019 football season and the year that that stands out that uh, this past year was? It feels like forever ago, but it was just you know a few months ago. Yeah, I have a couple, and from a football perspective, uh, it has to be I guess the South Carolina and Kentucky games, and and the South Carolina game, the win the win over Muschamp is significant from just a, a pure hatred standpoint. I, I I rotate all of my sports around my hatred of, of different coaches or players on, on various teams. And I think I speak for most of the Tennessee fans in saying that he was pretty near the top for me just based on his, his previous behavior. Uh, yeah, you know, Tennessee it was um, it was Steve Spurrier's birthday earlier this week. And we were talking on the radio about rival coaches that fans most wanted to beat. And he was he was number one or number two for a lot of people. And I brought up Will Muschamp and Eric Kane, who I was doing the show with, is like, oh, yeah, he's he's got to be high up there because – uh, one, he was, he's just good against Tennessee. He had been 7-0 and going into that game that Tennessee won this past fall and brought the attitude with it to where he made Tennessee fans feel worse having lost to him. Plus, he wasn't winning at that high of a level, but he was undefeated no, against Tennessee. Losing, losing to Spurrier is always unfortunate, but, I mean, Spurrier was at least beating everyone else. Will Muschamp's just not a very good coach, and he, he took some very, some very average teams at both schools uh, – and took and beat Tennessee, you know, at, at home and and then also in Neyland. So, really satisfying. And, and then Kentucky, that rivalry is really just ratcheted up. I, it's it's funny because the Kentucky football rivalry has been aided number one by Tennessee not being great at football in the last couple of years, and also by Tennessee being above average in basketball against Kentucky the last couple of years. So those those two factors have made like pretty much any athletic interaction between those two schools a, a good time. So, like, I think that the, the bowl game was fun. I did have a couple of, of other, like, specific moments that I was hoping that I could, I could run by you as my highlights. And yeah, let's just, just give me your back on where you think they fill. So, I, uh, you and I actually met up. I flew back from Chicago to Knoxville for the BYU game. Uh, we, we, we spoke briefly in a, in a parking lot, I believe, before the game. And I was at a tailgate with a guy who was wearing a, a BYU sweatshirt. And I, I didn't really – I didn't mingle with him until closer to the end of the day, closer to the game. And, and I finally you know, went over and introduced myself. And I, I asked him if he wanted to BYU or how long he'd been a fan. And he's like, no, I, I'm a Tennessee fan. And I was like, okay, so what, what's going on? And he's like, you know what? He's like, just, just coming out of that Georgia State game, I just, I just wanted to wear the winning team's gear around here like one time. <laughs> And I, you know, and I, at first, at first, I thought the guy was a real jerk, and then I thought about it as I was like 
you know, furiously storming away from the stadium three hours later, wondering why I, why I had done this to myself again. I was like, yeah, that guy had it right the entire day. <laughs> he looked so relaxed at the yeah. tailgate the entire day. He was just smiling. He didn't care. He, he knew the outcome. Uh, before it happened and of, and of course it worked out the way that it, it always works out for Tennessee but that's incredible I, I so that. he, he found a way to be a Tennessee fan and still walk out of there enjoying a win quote a win even though Tennessee yeah. didn't win the game well and he got to, he got to be extra snarky about it you know he got, he got to, <laughs> right. yeah yeah I knew it and the thing is yeah again I just I was so I was so envious of how relaxed he seemed the entire day and I just love I love that he you know he didn't even he wasn't drawing attention to himself it's just I, I casually asked him and he and he pointed out that he, no I'm 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 a Vol fan but uh he he drew he drew a line in the sand and on that particular day he was right let's fast forward to Bama weekend I'm in New Orleans for a wedding of a fraternity brother and uh you know it's it's fall weddings and so i think everybody is under the same uh, impression that that sort of it's fair game especially for a rivalry game and there's a bunch there's a bunch of people kind of crowded around a table watching the game on a phone and and tennessee's still in it as you know kind of in, in the third quarter there and at one point the groom i'm sure the bride had been had, had been letting the groom know the entire night of how upset she was by the situation people were not dancing they were off to the side watching. They were, we were screaming. We were doing Rocky Top. It's New Orleans, so everybody was pretty good and ripped up. I mean, it was like it was it was a whole it was a whole concoction of uh, bad situations. At one point, the groom kind of just had a momentary lapse. Came over very angry, grabbed the phone out of out of my friend's hand and threw it across the wedding reception. <laughs> just a brand new iPhone, just threw it all the way across in front of the whole crowd. It just it disrupted this entire group of people watching the uh, the Tennessee Alabama game and then, and then you know five minutes later there's a come, we come together we talk about it we hug it out there's apologies given but it's a, it's a great example of, uh, of the passion that comes along with with SEC football and, and also just the risk of having a fall wedding particularly around that Alabama Tennessee weekend right yeah phones are going to be broken do you remember the timing of the phone toss and the Garantano fumble at the goal line were those close to one another because both both would have brought out a lot of emotion them. Yeah, yeah. So this was, um, and, and you know, I, I had to like go back and look. Tennessee was, we, we were certainly within striking distance. There were there were things happening po- positive that, that were happening for Tennessee in the game. Uh, we got the phone back again. There was a there was a 15 minute period where we weren't even watching the game because there was like 10 guys in tuxes just yelling at each other in a corner of the wedding, which is more disruptive than the original football viewing. So there was. There was, you know, there was the, the football watching. Then there was a, a giant blow up of mostly groomsmen and and the, and then the groom. And then we had to go back and participate in some dancing. Did a, I think we did a uh, like a George Strait kind of karaoke number along with the wedding band together. Then we then we returned and, and watched the uh, the Garantana thing. So just one of those moments that you know you have you have with your, with your lifetime with your boys uh, that you've known for a long time. But it's I'm sure I'm sure the other people at the wedding were looking at us and just being like these these guys are all complete idiots. Sure. Uh, and Tennessee football will bring that out of you. Uh, and I'll use that to segue into this. It's been quite an interesting, I think, internet conversation uh, since about a week ago, word came out that JT Daniels was entering the transfer portal at USC. He's a quarterback that's very talented, missed almost all of last season with the torn ACL. I'll preface this conversation by saying we don't know that JT Daniels would really be that interested in Tennessee. We just know that there's an obvious connection. T. Martin, who was the OC at USC, recruiting Daniels there and coaching him in 2018 and uh, now being at Tennessee. So we know about that obvious connection. Let's assume that he would have interest in Tennessee. I'm finding varying opinions from Tennessee fans on whether Daniels should be recruited to Tennessee. 
even knowing that Garantano right now is the projected starter and that fans don't want him to be the starter either this fall. Of course, it comes back to Harrison Bailey, maybe a little Brian Maurer. What do you make of the just conversation that has existed among Tennessee fans and all the different opinions on JT Daniels? As a fan, it's one of those things where you've heard the expression, too many cooks in the kitchen. And in Tennessee, from a quarterback perspective, is dealing with uh, like too many too many wing fryers in a in a four star Michelin restaurant. We have we have a lot of we have a lot of uh, utensils to make food, and we're not sure if any of them is going to actually put out a high quality meal. This might be adding just another another contraption to fry wings and and serve to customers who want to spend hundreds of dollars on, on fancy wine and such. I don't. I just don't know. We have too many quarterbacks to even ponder right now. There's a guy. There's a a, ch- a chunk of the fan base that still wants to ride with Brian Maurer despite wildly varying results. Right. You have JT Stroud like tweeting this week about how people are, are sleeping on him, and he feels like he he feels like he's not being respected. Um, there's this quarterback that you said that we have no idea if he even wants to come here. Imagine if you're him and you get online and Tennessee fans are just bagging you. Just going right in on you, and you're like, "Who are these guys?" I don't even. I don't. I'm sure he's completely unaware of what's even happening with the quarterback situation, despite you know what, what T. Martin may have called him. And then there's there's Jared Garantano, who like you know the the um, there's there's different national media guys who've really gotten into tweeting out like Garantano's like completion percentage statistics and his uh, his I guess like his efficiency rating compared to other quarterbacks in the, in the SEC, which which he does rank pretty highly on so there there is a lot of there's a lot of uh of varying opinion about this and, and I, I would love to know what jt thinks when he gets on twitter and, and just is wildly confused by people just taking pot shots at him yeah over, and, over on the other side of the yeah and he has the ability to communicate with t martin and and so that's a behind the scenes conversation that would take place but you're right i mean i'm maybe he's heard about some of the stuff that happened this past fall with garantano i don't know how much jt daniels keeps up with college football but if he's unaware of it and he if he just comes in contact or is now made aware of, of quote, Vol Twitter for the first time in his life, it has to be really eye-opening. And if you're not sure, it, it could cause you to say, you know what, maybe I'll just look at LSU or Michigan instead of Tennessee. So I, I don't know, because, again, I'll say there's, there's this conversation with the assumption that he would have a lot of interest. I think there would, there would be maybe some, some fringe interest, and then let's see where it goes from there on each side. But well, uh, the fans' interest to me is is the most fascinating part of the conversation. Is it? And you would know better than me. Is this right now? This is the first time that a, in a long time that a transferring quarterback would look at Tennessee and say, "There is a quality offensive line. There is a quality running back, and there's some sort of known commodity at receiver, including one guy that he played with uh, out at out at USC last year. That's that's transferring over. I mean, I mean." Just a different way to phrase it, is Tennessee, is Tennessee a more desirable landing spot for a, a transfer quarterback than it has been any time in the last 10 years? Yeah, probably so. Tennessee hasn't really been in that kind of market, right? I mean, it had Keller Chris come in as a grad transfer, uh, so that would be you know, a very recent comparison. But um, JT Daniels, I think, is a much better prospect uh, than, than Keller was. Keller had played a good amount, but it also lost his starting position by performance Daniels towards ACL and that's what took him out of the starting spot so yeah I think it is uh, I think back to when Rick Clawson arrived Rick didn't arrive as nearly as big of a prospect either football at UT then was at a higher level so yeah I, I think it's a I think it's a good spot because of the trajectory that appears to be there with Tennessee football and the group of receivers they signed and the O-line as you mentioned and Cheney uh, it's just I think it's fascinating I don't know what's going to happen but whatever has to happen 
will be quick, I would say, because Daniels, if he does transfer, wants to be somewhere and getting ready for a football season, assuming it starts up this fall. So uh, we'll see what happens and we'll see how quickly things transpire. But uh, the fan uh, the fan opinion, I think, on JT Daniels will continue to be varied as well. We're going to come back here on Locked on Vols. Kevin Hughes is here. I'm Josh Ward. Uh, the Hughes it or lose it segment. And we're going to talk about a very interesting Q&A with Mark West Calloway, who's getting ready for the NFL draft this upcoming weekend. And then the other story that has dominated the last few days of the sports world. Next, right here on Locked on Vols, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. David Ubbin does an exit interview series uh, as best he can, talking to different people, players, coaches, when they leave the University of Tennessee. And this week he posted an interview, actually a couple with Daniel Batuli and then Marquez Callaway. They're both worth checking out, again, at The Athletic. And there was one quote that I think stood out to you and me, Kevin, uh, and it was having to do with the question about Jeremy Pruitt coming in as Tennessee's coach, what stood out. And uh, Callaway had mentioned that he that uh, Pruitt, cut everything off, stuff that you know, didn't need to be there, didn't need to be going on. So David asked the follow-up, what do you mean by, quote, cut everything off? Here's what Marquez Calloway said. Like he would come into a meeting room and everybody would be laughing, having a good time before meetings. Everybody's coming in after class or whatever, talking about their day, laughing, and he'll come in and just be like, everybody shut the F up over something small. And I was like, if he's tripping over something small, that's how you know you've got a good coach. Everybody shut the F up when he walks into a meeting room. That's Jeremy Pruitt. Yeah. Uh, so if we, if we rewind and, and just look at the post-Fulmer era, there was the Lane Kiffin, Ed Orgeron shirtless uh, nightclub scene that they sort of reenacted within the locker room that I think was, was popular to some. And, yeah, uh, Wild Boys. Chastised heavily by yeah. others. And then there was like the, the Derek Dooley like history class lesson followed by the Butch Jones. I don't know what you want to call that. but Butchisms. When you when you talk about a coach winning the press conference, this is exactly how a Tennessee coach wins the press conference. Like this, Marcus Callaway probably gained more favor for Jeremy Pruitt with the Tennessee fans by giving this quote than by anything Pruitt could have said himself. I, the fan base eats this kind of stuff up, and I, I think like after all the nonsense Tennessee fans have been through, that's kind of all they really want. They want wins, and they want a coach to not say the kind of stuff that Butch Jones was saying, not behave the way that Lane Kiffin was saying, and and not just be any part of what Derek Dooley was bringing to the table at that time. So I, I think I think it's fine. I think it, at a Tennessee doesn't necessarily need to generate a lot of like buzz or or press based on what the coach is saying right now. They just need to win. So overall, it's great. I think my my favorite Jeremy Pruitt moment of the offseason was the uh, the Zoom the the Zoom like six degrees of separation meeting that was set up, where at one point like there's I mean you know you just just like LL Cool J or Kevin or Kevin Hart or Chris Paul or whoever on the line. And I don't think Jerry Pruitt even remotely wanted to be a part of that. He just popped <laughs> I'm in. I'm like sure he, he didn't. was not at all a feature. I don't think, I'm not sure Garantano was allowed to speak on the whole thing, but Jerry Pruitt wanted to be on and off as fast as he could. And that, that's, that's, that's the right thing here. He needs to be working football and, and let the, the assistant coaches generate the buzz of doing stuff like that. So I, overall, I think this quote probably is a, is a big PR win for Jeremy Pruitt, where some could construe it in a, in a, in from a different angle as being a bad thing. Uh, my, uh, the, the funny, funniest one maybe that I need more of a story on is, uh, David asking Marquez Calloway again, this is the, in, in the athletic piece, what's your best Jeremy Pruitt story? Calloway said he don't like being called Jer bear. And then David said, I've never heard the Jer bear one who dropped that one on him. And Calloway said, I don't even know. I feel like Jer bear fits him 
but I don't think he feels the same. It almost makes me wonder, did Callaway call him Jer Bear when he's saying, I think Jer Bear fits him because I don't know that Jer Bear really fits anybody, but uh, I definitely wouldn't think Jeremy Pruitt. So uh, I need to know more about the origination of Jer Bear and who actually was willing to call him that. Did Marquez Callaway, Juwan Jennings maybe had the guts to call him that, right. but I, I don't know. Do you, do you think that Jer Bear is, is, is more preferable than Germ? Because he gets called Germ a fair amount on Twitter. Not, yeah. you, have to apply, you have to apply the, uh, the accent. It's, got, it's like a Germ kind of thing, but it's, it's still Germ. So I don't know. I'm sure he probably doesn't appreciate either. I but it's think. like it's like that or Jer Bear, or you can go back even further and do uh, the thing about him not knowing about vegetables in like sure. 2006. So like whichever one you want to <laughs> project out into the world. Is yeah. But if I were to start calling you Kev Bear, it doesn't really rhyme, but, you know, what would you think? You're probably not liking that I, one, right? I wouldn't like it. And, and the thing is, you know, uh, Jeremy Pruitt and I carry similar statures and similar hairstyles, and so I think – I think I understand how threatening that would be to my own ego if you were to start doing that. Sure. Uh, so I'll, I'll see if I can find more information about that one down the line. But uh, an interesting exit interview Q&A with Mark West Calloway. Uh, he would always, to me, be willing to say what uh, just what kind of came to mind. Uh, so check that interview out at The Athletic. Uh, before you go, so it's NFL draft time. That's going to take over the next few days. And then Sunday, we'll get back to The Last Dance, episodes three and four on ESPN. And while we're all waiting on sports and we're talking about what happened in the 80s, 90s, looking at classic games, all this, the Jordan documentary comes at a very important time. It's why they released it early, because we need it. What was your biggest takeaway Sunday? I had like 10 that I immediately jotted down, but what was your biggest takeaway, do you think, from the first two episodes of the 10-episode documentary on ESPN? Yeah, there, I mean, there's there's so many. And I think I, I, it feels like a lot of people are talking about Jerry Krause and and the fact that he, the fact that a guy who was a scout for the White Sox was able to pull off the entire notion of saying, I would like to be the general manager of the Bulls. And at that time, the general manager or the owner of the Bulls was like, yeah, okay. Everyone seems to hate you, but sure. Like, well, like why not? And the fact yeah. that that resulted in actual wins. I mean, this is, uh, when you, when you look around the, the, uh, the league now and, and there's, there's players fighting constantly with, with, with management and ownership, that was still happening here, but they were, but the teams were winning multiple playoffs despite all of this dysfunction, and that's uh, that, that 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 has never been the case with like today's generation of superstars. Yeah, I have still struggled to figure out why all of the attention is on Jerry Krause and not his boss, who is by the way still alive. Jerry Krause is no longer living; he died three years ago. Yeah. Reinsdorf is the owner; he is the one in charge. <laughs> he is Jerry Krause's boss. So the owner could have very easily said to Jerry Krause, look, you're going to fix this with Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan, and Scottie Pippen, or you're gone. If it's Jordan or Krause, this should not be an, a difficult choice. So I'm not saying Krause is someone who shouldn't receive criticism for how he handled things, because as a boss, he made some mistakes. He, he didn't get enough credit to me on Sunday night with the move to bring in Scottie Pippen and some of the other, a lot of the personnel. I mean, he, he built the yeah. roster, but... Why is Reinsdorf essentially skating in the conversation? Twitter's blowing up Kraus, who's no longer living, while Reinsdorf, who was actually in charge, let this go on. Uh, no, com completely. And I guess I guess the only answer is just because they won. I don't. I don't. I, if they if they had not won to that degree, then I don't think that he would get away with it. Um, the fact that they blew up a, a a championship contender with with years left and like and then the tank to probably win or at least compete for another title is if you look at it from from today's standards is, is just completely nuts um 
the the Michael Jordan thing, you know, because it, it's he's been getting the, the comparisons to Kobe, obviously, since Kobe's death have been um, really prevalent. And then for, for whatever reason, and this is probably, I'm sure, affecting you a lot because you're you're a fan of both the, the, Le, the LeBron James, Michael Jordan conversation on on twitter that doesn't even need to exist there's, does there's not really need to exist it, 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 it is I, I useless think... it drives me crazy yeah. I, yeah yeah i'm in the what seems like a, a minority selection of people that think jordan and lebron are both incredible basketball players and both should be lauded for their careers and i think in 20 years or whatever we'll look back at a documentary on lebron and talk about how great he was but yeah immediately there was just the over-the-top debates about jordan versus lebron again this past week well, and, and the thing about this documentary, and this is Michael Jordan came out uh, before the, the airing of the first two episodes, and he made the statement that he feels like people are going to really think that he's a terrible guy when these are released. There's a reason for that. The reason is because Michael Jordan is kind of low-key a terrible dude. Like, he, he was a really hard person to be around. He wasn't, he wasn't uh, the best teammate from a, from a support standpoint. He was a fantastic teammate in terms of bringing people out of there. We have we have 16, 17 years of evidence on LeBron James. He's not that guy. He's not going to magically become that guy overnight. He's a different he's a different type of competitor. He's a different type of human being. He's also he's also of course he's just just as good. He's in the exact same category as Michael Jordan from a basketball perspective. It's crazy. There's not that much degree of separation. Michael brought this personality, this competitive drive, and frankly, this like maniacal desire to win that that no one else really has i think that's the point of the documentary and people are not instead of addressing that they're looking more at, at highlights of michael jordan dominating some pretty middling competition back back in the late 80s and early 90s and they're using that as a comparison phase yeah and as we have this conversation you can see behind me we're, we're doing this over zoom you can see I've, I've got jordan artwork behind me so I, I totally agree. If I rank all the players, if, if I'm forced to rank them, I have Jordan number one. But my belief has always been if you take the best all-time players in their prime and you have Jordan, LeBron, Magic, Bird, Russell, Kareem all out there playing, they're all going to look incredibly good. And it's going to be able – it's going to be difficult to differentiate which one's the best among those. You, you can pick one, but, uh, I, well, again, the, the debates, they, they just have to happen. And, of course, they did this past week. You, I mean, you. So you do sports radio in Knoxville. I would argue that if you were to to really open, and I know that in Knoxville the the basketball talk is sometime at a minimum, but right now I think everybody's bored and might participate. If you were to really open it up and just kind of and just and just see, if you got people talking about comparing Jordan to LeBron, and then opened up a separate conversation of comparing Peyton Manning to Tom Brady, there's weirdly there might be more people from who are Tennessee fans or from the East Tennessee area who are more fired up about the Michael Jordan LeBron conversation based on their ownership of being from that era or the ownership of their generation and their age versus like the, the newer age uh, basketball player in LeBron James, then they might get about arguing on behalf of Peyton, Peyton Manning against Tom Brady. It, it's, a, it's such a strange argument that doesn't really exist. There are of course people who debate the best quarterback, but never to this level of hostility. It never gets this point. People who defend Peyton Manning kind of just walk away like, well, I like Peyton Manning. That's fine. You, you get to like Dan Marino or you get, you get to, to like John Elway. It doesn't really matter. For whatever reason, this argument becomes a, a very different machination and exists on Twitter in a, in a pretty in a pretty fascinating way. And, and like it, it leads to a lot of highlights and memes and gifs and things that are entertaining, but altogether very annoying and very distracting from what should just be a really nice viewing event for everybody to enjoy, uh, you know, a, a great a great legend athletically of our, of our time.
Yeah, and that's where I would leave it. Just enjoy the documentary. You have eight more episodes to go. We need it right now. So episodes three and four coming up on Sunday on ESPN and ESPN2. Enjoy. That's what I would say. And, uh, and we'll get back to the LeBron-Jordan debate in nine weeks. How about that? Uh, Kevin Hughes, use it or lose it. Great to have you back on the show. We'll do it again. Thanks so much today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you being here on today's show. Remember, you can always send me a question or comment for the show. Any questions you might have about what's going on with Tennessee, send them my way on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. I have links to my accounts in the show notes, which you can check out every show. And I'll be back on Monday talking about where Tennessee's football players will have gone in the NFL draft. It's going to be nice, whether you're a draft fan or not, I'd say this weekend to have an actual event that has something to do with sports, and maybe it'll make us feel like sports are getting closer to coming back. We head into the final weekend of the month of April. It means we're getting closer to May, which again means we're at least getting closer to the return of sports. I appreciate you returning here to the show. Thanks to everybody who has left a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That is a big help. Most importantly, I appreciate you coming back to listen. I'll be back on Monday on Locked On Vols, right here, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. 